0: Hello and welcome back to another podcast from the edge with me, Peter Bruce. One of the things I most firmly believe is that unless you're able to make economic policy in this country around the inescapable fact that we are a mining and farming and not possibly a tourist economy, you're going to make mistakes. Mining is still the thing we do best. And the beauty of it is that it's God given. It's all in the ground. there already and we just have to extract it and sell it. And coal mining perhaps best exemplifies this. We have hundreds of years of coal available to us and we beneficiate it easily. All we have to do is dig out the coal, burn it in ESCOM's power stations, and we have electricity. That's beneficiation at its most pure and simple. But investors are getting out of coal because, well, it's very polluting. Anglo-American sold its coal mines and now a large Australian company listed in Australia, in London and in Johannesburg, South32, is getting out as well. The South32 mines are being bought for a token one Rand by the same company, Ceriti Resources, that bought the Anglo-American coal mines. Once the Anglo and the South 32 coal mines are combined, Sariti will become one of ESCOM's biggest coal suppliers. You'd think a one-rand deal would take mere seconds to do, but this deal is in some rough water. Mainly that's because one of the South 32 mines, a wayward child called Ifaletu, a mine that supplies ESCOM's Duva power station, uh, via conveyables. They're very convenient, but it's at a huge loss. And for the deal to make sense, Sariti needs ESCOM to pay More for the coal from the mine. ESCOM appears to agree that the National Treasury won't let it pay what's required. I'm very happy to have Sariti Resources' Mike Teke, with me here today to discuss this deal because it's making more and more news, Mike, which I'm sure is not necessarily always comfortable for you. But let me kick off by asking you whether you're still confident this deal can be done.
1: Thank you for inviting me and thanks for this podcast I believe the deal can be done. I believe the deal can be completed, and I believe it's in the interests of South Africa that this deal is concluded.
0: It's a strange deal because you know uh, um, South32. Not only is I mean not only is the price a nominal one rand. I think you've also paid up front about hundred million rand to South32, and they have more recently gilded the lily, as it were, by offering to pay in to the company that it's giving, practically giving to you, uh, around 250 million US dollars uh, to make it a sweeter proposition. Nevertheless, you're insisting that unless the if a duva issue is not resolved, the deal probably can't be done. Is this a negotiating tactic or are you serious? Is there no way that profitable parts of Sariti or profitable parts of South 32 that you will buy cannot subsidize Duva, for instance.
1: Most important for us, we see this as a package. We see all of these mines coming to us as a package. We have Ifale to Kranz, which is the old Middleback mine, Coleris, uh, supplying Duva. We have uh, Kutala, which is supplying candle uh, Power Station. And then we have the Tlapsprate mine and other projects that are focused on exports. Our view is that this transaction is doable when we have resolved issues related to Duva Power Station. And I believe there is a, a solution to that. I believe we can find each other. It's just a question of, obviously, we know that South two during the transaction, or even before the transaction started, they were talking about a hardship, a hardship as in the price they were receiving for the code they were selling to Duva, was viewed and believed to be very low as a result the mine was operating at a huge loss we are saying for us to make up for that we believe that we are coming to the table to say as com if that price is adjusted and that adjustment comes with other things that we are prepared to offer us as seriti to other uh, to, to, to other pa- uh, contracts that we have with ESCOM, which I believe at this point in time, with what South 82 is putting in, and if we find each other, not if, but when we find each other, with ESCOM and Treasury, this transaction will be doable.
0: And the finding of each other, is that are going to be around, is it, just, is it just a matter of price? You're asking for, I think it's 550 rand a, a ton of coal. This is basically what coal is being exported for now. So it's quite a high price. I mean, is there something between the current price, which I think is in the 200s, um, and the 550 that you could get if you exported the coal from, um, from the mine that you could live with? Peter, I, um, let me clarify. And the coal export prices of today
1: is $94.95 a ton. So at 14 50, or 14 20 and $93, we're talking over a 1000 you're talking yeah. not 550 rand, yeah. you're talking about that. So we, we need to be careful of that. When you produce a ton of coal and exporting it, you probably will produce it at port. Probably you'll be working at around 600 rand, 680 rand, and you'll make a good margin out of that, and the business will survive. You'll be able to sustain the business and be able to pay salaries and grow the business. But for with the 550, the 550 that we put on the table, was premised on several other packages that we had put to ESCOM, which were a part of the internal discussions. But we are, however, saying, as CERID, we are prepared to listen to ESCOM and working with National Treasury to come up with a module that can assist this country going forward. Our vision as Ceriti has consistently been that we want to work in the interests of this country. And you're right, Peter, you made a point earlier. Mining and agriculture are two interesting industries that if you can mine it, you grow it. So for me, I believe the country is not about really getting a higher price; it's about getting something sustainable, reliable into the future and ensure that at the end of the day, this country grows its economy because energy is the backbone of any
0: growing economy. Well, as we, as we know well, to to our cost, talking about which, you know, if just tell me if I'm accurate here or not, but if you are able to do a deal to buy South 32's mines, and these are all around what I would still call Vitbank and Mpumalanga, you would be ESCOM's biggest coal supplier. Yes, we will be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And can I ask you, I mean, as a South African, isn't that dangerous in the sense that, you know, if something happens to your company, once again, ESCOM is vulnerable, vulnerable because, because, you know, your problems become their problems become my problem because I need electricity in my, in my house. That's a good question.
1: Firstly, obviously ESCOM would like to have a diversified supply base. And it is important to understand that a company like Siri with a strong balance sheet, once we become this big company, We're not posing a risk because we will be a strong company. If you are a weak company, as a weak balance sheet, we have challenges and we can't run the business properly. The risk you may face is that then you'll have to be knocking at Escom's door all the time. We are building a formidable company. So a strong balance sheet effective in the means. A strong business and a strong counterparty for Escom. But let's go to the second point. The second point is the point that we would like to make sure that the junior miners who are participating in this, in this industry, who are supplying coal and tracking of coal and the like, we would like them to participate. Hence, we are prepared to look at a model that would accommodate them as well. We are not going out there and saying we want to be the biggest in controlling and look like a monopoly. At the end of the day, we want to be a strong supplier, a strong balance sheet and a strong counterparty to us. All.
0: You've taken great exception, Mike, in the past couple of days on in the media to the notion that, to the sort of equivalence that people are trying to make. And I think they're being um disingenuous, but let's address the thing anyway. Between what happened with the Gupta family and ESCOM and the Optimum mine all those years ago now, where basically the management at ESCOM at the time decided that it could no longer do any business with Glencore. Glencore was complaining that the price was too low, that the price that Eskom was paying it. Uh, Eskom said, that's not a problem. We don't want to deal with you any longer. Suddenly, Glencore was out, and uh, the Guptas were the new owners of the Optimum mine, and suddenly Eskom had a lot of money to pay for for the coal from, from there. And I wonder what you think of the attempt to draw... An equivalence between that pricing problem and the pricing problem now between Ifoletu and Duva. How do they differ?
1: Firstly, I I, I must confess that I was deeply, deeply disappointed by that comparison. I'm a South African. I was born in this country, and I believe that my interests are the interests of this country. You know, I have other businesses beyond coal, and if my other businesses where I'm invested are not getting reliable and sustainable and cheap energy. I have a problem because I'm an investor in agriculture, I'm an investor in financial services, I'm an investor in other industrial assets. That's the first one. The second one is, nowhere is really, as people purport or explain that we are getting upfront payments, that are no upfront payments coming from ESCOM. We're not asking for money from ESCOM. It's the pricing model that we're talking about, and we are prepared to come To the party to assist with the pricing. Number three, South 2 is not walking away. We have negotiated and we clearly explained that they have to pay for certain things that they have made a commitment that they will pay. Hence, we're talking about over 10 billion rand of money, of payments that South 2 will be paying. The situation at that time with Glencore, truth be told, yes, Glencore had that discussion and they walked away from the asset and we Allegedly, what was reported at the time was that ESCOM paid the other company up front to take over a mine. We're not asking for money from ESCOM at all.
0: In a country as politicized as, as ours is, the, the, the equivalent nevertheless has some legs. And I think that uh, I think I saw the other day that um, some of the unions were laying charges of. Um, I don't know what the charges were actually against Sariti, whether it's against Sariti or you or ESCOM. Is that worth taking seriously? I don't know whether to spend too much time talking about them. I mean, it sounds to me like a fairly typical South African political uh, maneuver.
1: Peter, those were, those there were there was a criminal complaint, I'll confirm, and our names were mentioned in that criminal complaint with several issues. An example is where the National Union of Mine Workers explained that the Competition Commission invited a white union to attend, to be part of the Competition Commission investigation and all that, which is not true, fact. What happened is that the National Union of mine Work has worked with a who worked with us. The transaction was fully supported at Competition Commission level. And the transaction was approved with conditions by the competition commission. I'm giving one of the issues that's appearing in that criminal complaint. And when the transaction was approved, it was approved the condition that we cannot retrench for 24 months. Take it. This is uh, when we take over. Number two, the other condition, as we know, it was referred this transaction to the tribunal. When it went to the tribunal, there were people who were called interveners. And one of those interveners was WASA, the United Association of South Africa, a union which so happened to be a white union. They were not invited. They became interveners because they were concerned at the time about their recognition agreement that when Seriti takes over, Seriti is not going to cancel that agreement, which we will not, and we gave them confirmation of that. The National Union of Mine Workers were not part of the tribunal presentation. Why? Because they never objected to anything. They were not interveners. They supported the transaction. Now, when as I speak to you, Peter, there is a discussion between South 32 and the National Union of Mine Workers and other unions that are representing employees at South 32. Before, long before we took over, they had started a project to look at rationalizing the operations to try and improve the performance of the operations. And one of those was a section 189 retrenchment process. And we've, we, we, we've seen the recording, we've had people saying we are involved in that. We cannot get involved in that. We are not involved in that section 189 because we have not taken over as yet and we cannot influence it at all. So there is that criminal plane and it has mentioned a lot, Math, almost all the things mentioned there are inaccurate and are not true.
0: Yeah, uh, probably won't trouble you too much. There is an element here uh, that is that is kind of concerning to the extent that South 32, if I'm not mistaken, came out of BHP. BHP in its way came out of the old Gencore, part of partly anyway. So presumably, you know, we, we, we are a little trapped, as I've written in the past, in the old the old sort of Africana nationalist economy or the res- or some of the some of the unintended consequences of the old Africana nationalist economy where, you know, everybody rubbed everybody else's back. So Duva gave ESCOM cheap coal in return for Duva's owners getting cheap electricity at smelters that it owned, at aluminium smelters that it owned and other smelters, I presume, uh in Richards Bay. And if I'm not mistaken, South 32 still owns the hillside smelters. I don't know where, whether they use them or not. I don't know whether they're still making ingots or still using the facility. But here's the thing. If they are, and, and it now, SCOM now has to recorrect all of this stuff and to start charging South 32 more for the electricity that it's supplying to hillside aluminium. While at the same time, you're asking, for a, a better coal price from Ifaletu, the mine, as you, as you come into uh, control of it, it begins to kind of unravel all of those nice things because it might make Hillside unprofitable if it has to pay more for electricity.
1: That, that's a good question. That's a good point you raised. Uh, Peter, we you know that we had Genco, and then Genco bought Billiton, and then Billiton merged with BHP, to form BHP Billiton, and then BHP Billiton, in the Australian company uh, divest- uh, divested the assets to create South32. And these mm-hmm. are the assets yeah. of South32. And I agree with you, yeah. right? Hillside and Bayside are part of South32. And the electricity contract that you're referring to is the old AluSAf Hillside contract between ESCOM in terms of that electricity arrangement. That discussion, I've confirmed with Mike Fraser because that question was asked by somebody. And I, he's the CEO of South 32. The CEO of South 32. He's the CEO the president and CEO of, of South 32. The CEO in Australia, Graham Kerr. I've confirmed with my friends, including with Graham Kerr, that right now that agreement is being negotiated, renegotiated between ESCOM and South 32.
0: Give me this. Give come back to what you said earlier. This is an important deal for the country. Why is it important that you own all these mines? Why is it important that we own these mines? Number one. We have operated in, in
1: these mines. I started in the mining industry in 1994. I saw happen that years later, I joined Samanko, 1999, and then 2000, I became part of, of Billiton. And then when the major happened, I was part of the business, and then I worked for Ingwe. Ingwe, remember, consisted of the very assets that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I worked in the coal mining industry. I became the president of the Minerals Council. And my experience, my exposure to the mining industry, I'm not a mining engineer, but I work in this industry. I believe my leadership, I believe my capability of running these mines, I've got good experience to be able to assist my country, take it to the next level of reliable, sustainable energy. And I believe this, I understand these mines. I haven't visited them for some time because I'm not allowed to, I've had one visit, but if I were to take over these mines, I know what to do and I am committed to this country. I'm not going anywhere. So we believe we are the right people as shareholders, as three. We are four shareholders. Myself, which is Massimo Group Holdings, my company. It's Zico. It's a CIH, Community Investment Holdings and Terry Investments. And those four investors are South African investors committed to making sure that
0: we and are part Zico, of it. Zico is a very familiar name and that, that would be, um, Um, uh, okay so i didn't realize he was he was your he was a partner of yours okay let's assume let's assume that the deal works right and and you and you find a middle ground you you know you said in the past that what you're trying to do isn't to make a million round a second out of if i let you just trying to get it to break even let's let's say it all works i mean what is the future of coal here anyway i mean you you i'm going to come to kusile in a minute and new lago but but you're you're investing in what has to be a dying industry, surely. Yeah, it's a good question.
1: There's an article I'll refer you. You must read this, the, the the open letter written by a, a young person in India writing it to John Kerry in the US. It resonates with my thinking. My thinking is this: South Africa is at the at a stage where it can support SADC in its vision of growth. South Africa is at a stage where, with its grid, I know it's an aging grid, but we can make it better, we can make it work for sub-Saharan Africa. The energy mix for this continent, Peter, the energy mix for this continent is clear on the IRP, integrated resource plan, that one, 40% of our energy will still be generated by coal for, for the foreseeable future. Right at the moment, it's 70%, 72%. It will reduce substantially. That market share, that share will be taken over by renewables. I embrace renewables. I support renewables. We need to work towards a carbon-free future one day. But we are a developing economy. We cannot just switch off the button now and shut everything in terms of coal mining and say, let's forget we have to make sure that the power stations that are going to be closed and uh, the, the, the story that goes around with the discussion is that of the 15 coal-fired power stations that ESCOM operate, five will close. And if five closes, then you're left with the ten. And then over a period of time, you gradually close the others until you reach a stage where coal doesn't become a, 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 have a bigger slice of, of producing energy in South Africa. So I recognize that coal is a dying industry. I recognize that it's an emitter, it's a fossil fuel. But let's watch the stage. Let's work towards what we call a just transition, responsible transition rather than shutting down. What is my dream world? My dream world, ultimately, we will one day have renewables, being in the majority, as in solar and wind. We will probably have hydro, we to do, do the Grand Inga one day as Africa. And probably we will see other opportunities come through to help us as a country, as a continent, be independent in terms of energy. Because once we have a powerful grid in supplying energy to all industries, to domestic home, to homes, to uh, our citizens, then our economy will grow aggressively. So I recognize that.
0: Talking about economic growth and power, do you think that Energy and Mineral Resources Minister Gwede Mantashe got it right or wrong? by capping the amount of self-generation that private industry could do at 10 megawatts?
1: I don't think so. I would have loved to see more. I would have loved to see more. I'm not closer in terms of why he kept it. My view would have been, I would have liked to see more of, especially with solar. I would have liked to see more solar players coming in, including our own mines. As we produce, as we mine code. We look at opportunities. I can take you to Creel. As you drive into one of our mines at Creel, you will we'll realize that there are solar panels out there. We're looking at opportunities to try and be cleaner, especially in that area where we have Creel and Marcha. So to cap it at 10 megawatts, I don't think it was. I would have preferred to see it at more.
0: So New Largo was a coal mine that Anglo built, and it was going to supply the, the new power station at Kusile. The power stations that we've now built—they're huge and they don't work basically. And uh, I think—and uh, they're behind schedule and they've cost much more. And I think Kusila now has three units up and running uh, of its of its six. And New Lago is a coal mine sitting right next to it. And explain to us what what the problem here is—is is Kusila not taking coal from New Lago? And let me let me explain it. So New Lago, you're right,
1: when we bought the three mines, we bought Crewe, which supplies Crewe power station. We bought New Denmark, which supplies Tutuga. We bought New Val, which supplies Litabo. The project we bought was New Lago. As we know that the module has come throughout. A power station was built next to the fuel. That was the historical module that has been there. The Kusino was built next to New Lago. And New Lago is the project that we own. We own 45% of that project with other shareholders, including the IDC. The plan is to develop New Lago to supply the power station. As the coast lies where we are right now, where we've opened the pit, we are six to eight kilometers towards the power station. We don't have a contract yet. We're not supplying Usile. Usile is tucking in their coal. From different parts of the country, from different parts of the
0: province. This talk, I want to talk about trucking because trucking seems to me to be what, trucking seems to me to signal obviously both the promise of, you know, other people getting a slice of the action, as it were, um, but also the the kind of dismemberment, I suppose, of the, of the ESCOM model, which is that, you know, it would build next to a coal mine and the coal mine would just, via conveyor belt, pour coal into the um, into the power station it would burn and it would just never stop and it was, a, it was a great model if you were a central planner and weren't having to worry about politics and 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 uh, all sorts of other pressures the politics of of coal truckers now bringing supplying Eskom mines is um uh, i presume extremely difficult it is a uh, in a way, a manifestation of what remains of the sort of radical economic transformation period of Jacob Zuma when he was the president, Brian Malefi, when he was running, running ESCOM, uh, trying to get black suppliers into, trying to do, get more black suppliers into, but it, it's kind of broken ESCOM at the same time, hasn't it?
1: The challenge you're sitting with right now is to be able to have you write. There's a central model that was embraced years ago to say you, 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 you use conveyor infrastructure. You convey coal through the belts into the power stations. But that model is mixed with obviously tracking of coal in several instances. Why? Some of the mines became old and depleted and they were not able to get coal from there and new resources were opened up far away from Either the power station or not closer to the power station simply because mining is a depleting resource. We know very well. So the trucks are operating in the industry, operating with those power stations and delivering to the power stations. The issue for me, it's the issue of how we plan all of us as a country to ensure that when do we truck, when do we convey? I believe we can live side by side.
0: But was trucking always a feature of ESCOM or is it a recent, is it a recent thing? Now it started quite later than Bells. Okay. It started quite later, yes. And presumably the people who are trucking in coal uh, are getting that coal from mines other than those which supply ESCOM directly. Do they also have environmental responsibilities that a normal mine owner who is mining coal would have? In other words, do they have the reserves to fix up the mines when they are depleted?
1: It's different. Uh, they do. They do have the resources. The point I'm making, that is why I said earlier, we would run a mine and the, the life of that mine will end. But the power station remains there. You can't move the power station. So what you would do, you would go out and source coal from other miners. But those miners are not closer to the power station. Hence, I believe our efficiency planning, when do we truck coal, when do we convey coal? We can do five side by side as a country. But the ability to do that, we must make sure that the efficiencies are in, uh, are driven hard.
0: Mike, does it worry you when you look at the sort of attacks that um, the, the CEO at ESCOM, um, uh, Andre de Reiter is coming? And I mean, you need to do business with this company. It needs a stable management. It needs a stable board um, in order to be able to make the decisions um, for you to run your business correctly. How do you how do you view? His position, is he going to survive at ESCOM? I
1: believe, uh, Andrew is a competent leader. I believe he will do well at ESCOM. I believe he's doing the right things at this point in time. I'm not close to his strategy internally of how he operates the business, but uh, our interactions about the agenda of South Africa resonate. We seem to be speaking the same language in terms of economic growth, in terms of the survival of ESCOM, in terms of getting what is sustainable into the uh, into the future for school. So he's the right person. He's got the right agenda, and I support. I'd like to support. I support him, and I'd love us to give him a chance. Maybe four to five years, he'd be able to turn this thing around.
0: Yeah. And lastly, I just want to come back again to to um, the South 32 uh, issue, just so that I've got this clear in my mind. South 32 is now going to pay you the part of the deal. $200 million over the next 10 years to partly fund, the, you know, the costs of environmental cleanup of mines, um, and, in, and a, an extra $50 million facility, uh, to restructure some of the loss-making mine sites, which I'm assuming also include the, the Duba mine. How, how much closer does that money get you to signing off? We are close
1: to, we are almost there. To the only, the only uh, finalisation of this transaction is us agreeing on the price for Duva and the contract being agreed between us, ESCOM and uh, Treasury, National Treasury. Um,
0: are you still looking for a, a, a price for, the, for the, f- the next four years and also for a, f- for a further 10 years or has that changed?
1: We are flexible. We will hear them
0: out. We are listening.
1: If they reject the 550 for year discussion that we had, we have put it to us from the put it to Treasury that we are flexible to look at any other option. Uh, let me throw an example to you, Peter. An example that says, let's assume they say, Would you be keen to accommodate other miners to supply into Duva, as an example? Would we'll we we'll consider something like that? So I'm flexible in terms of looking model, at a module that would sustain the business, keep the jobs in Dover and be able to keep the mind going for the future that is equal to. At the same time, I'm prepared to listen to Eskom and accommodate them into what they need. I'd like to emphasize something, Peter. Please, we don't want to steal from South Africa because I'm an investor. I'm a customer and I run businesses that depend on this country.
0: Mike Teke, thank you very much for joining me on my podcast from the edge today. It's been a great privilege to talk to you. Uh, I've seen your picture a lot. I've never seen a moving picture before, so it's good to see you on, on my screen. But thanks so much. It, it clears up a lot for me, and thanks. I hope for people who've been listening as well. Much obliged to you.
1: Thanks, Peter, and thanks for making that time. Thanks for giving me this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Well, that was interesting. Thanks so much for joining us. It cleared up a lot for me. My tech has been much in the news lately. Partly as the, you know, these deals, as they get closer to finality, things get a little tense, the news gets hotter, and people get more excited. Thank you once again for joining me. I'll be back at the same time next week with a, um, another interesting guest and an interesting topic. There's so much going on in South Africa. It's hard to know where to start.